Are you ready to fill your soul with the sustenance it needs? Look no further. Bishop Joshua Fonseca's Soul Food Podcast. You can listen anytime to these engaging messages of faith. From testimonies and real life stories to musical entertainment, is here to satisfy your spiritual hunger. Tune in today for a journey of hope, strength, and truth, and be uplifted with each episode wherever you are. Don't let your soul go hungry. It's time for some soul food. A month later, after giving birth to uh, my son, I was leaving my aunt's house to go meet my boyfriend. And as I was leaving and pushing the stroller across the street, I heard a big crash. And I knew it was some kind of car accident. And I see my little brother just running. And I asked him, my little brother was with my boyfriend. I asked him, I said, hey, where's, you know? And he said he got hit by the car. You can see that it was pretty bad. Uh, he was crying, he was repenting. The paramedics came, rushed him to Lincoln Hospital in the Bronx, where he was pronounced dead. And I just thought about him repenting and asking God to forgive him of his sins. And that kept playing over and over in my mind. And the church that he took me to, they came and they found where I lived. They witnessed to me right there in my living room. And they asked me, they said, if you were to die, Today, where would you spend your long eternity? You are now listening to Soul Food with Bishop Joshua. Don't stop listening, there is more soul food to share. Stay tuned to listen to the rest of this story. You are now listening to Soul Food with Bishop Joshua. Hi there. Together once again with our message of faith. And this is our message of faith. You can. You can overcome your battles. You can overcome your problems. You can succeed. In today's message, I'm going to teach you how to overcome doubt. However, right now I want you to prepare a glass of water. Just, I have mine here, you over there, seeing us through the computer, or your smartphone, your tablet, I want you to prepare a glass of water, because I will be praying for you in a few minutes. Well, the Lord Jesus was walking upon the water, and his disciples, the ones that saw miracles, heard of him. When they saw Jesus walking upon the water, they told each other, it is a ghost. They did not believe that was Jesus walking upon the water. Jesus sent them by the boat and told them, I'll meet you there. Go ahead. And they went away. When Jesus came to meet them walking upon the water, they said, it is a ghost they were terrified. Many of you go to church or to church, you read the Bible, you say you believe in God, but when you face problems, you forget about what you have seen and what you have heard from Jesus. Miracles that you have seen. Words of faith that you have heard from Him, 
you have read from the Bible, but when you face the trials, the tribulation, you do not believe. That's why many people think, because Peter uh, walked upon the water, Jesus told him to walk, he was walking upon the water, but he doubted. And when he doubted the power of Jesus, Peter sank. And many people are sinking. Because when you doubt, you go down. When you believe, faith brings you up. Step by step, little by little, but faith brings you up. Maybe you are so doubtful. You are afraid of something. You are terrified. You are expecting the medical exams, results. You have taken some tests, exams, and you are so afraid of the result. I tell you, I ask you, why do you doubt? Jesus, after Peter had sank, he took him by the hand and asked him a question. Why did you doubt? You of little faith. Little faith. What's a little faith? It doesn't mean... A small, it's not talking about a small or a big faith. Because faith you have, you need to use it. But when Jesus said little faith, means a faith mixed with doubt. Faith mixed with doubt makes your faith weak, little. And Jesus helped him and took him out of that situation, of that water. He was about to die. And maybe you are about to be evicted. You are about to lose your house. You are about to lose your job. Your husband already filed for divorce. He has walked away for another woman, for an affair. You are afraid of losing your son. The way he is heading, doing drugs, being in and out of jail. You are so afraid. My message of faith for you is that do not fear. Just believe, and you are going to see Jesus. He was walking toward Jesus, but he saw the waves touching his legs. And he thought, I am but a human being, and then he sank. You are a human being, but he is the holy being. He is Jesus. He is not a ghost. Continue to listen to Soul Food. We have a story coming up next to share with you. Feel you touch me in the pouring rain And the moment that you wonder for me I want to feel you in my arms again And you come to me on a summer breeze Keep me warm in your love, then you softly leave And it's me you need show how deep is your love? When I was five years old, I was taken away from my mom. 
myself and five other siblings. Um, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, it was a social worker that came into our house and there were police. They came in and they took us and put us in the back of a um, police car, myself and my other siblings. We were put in to one foster home and in this foster home, um, there were other foster children there. They split up my sister and one of my brothers, or actually two of my brothers, and they placed me with one of my older sisters. And in this foster home, the foster mom, she, she didn't really speak English. Um, they spoke a lot of Spanish. And um, she shaved off me and my sister's hair. You know, we always had long hair. She shaved our heads like boys. Um, I remember one time, it was five, I didn't have problems using the bathroom or anything, but she would put a pamper or a diaper on me and I would have to lay on the uh, a workout bench, a bench where, you know, guys, they, they work out on in the gym. And I had to stand in the corner and I would have to eat. Um, Sometimes the meat was pulled off the bones and it was just bones that she gave me. Eventually, they took notice that uh, we weren't being treated well in this foster home, and they placed us in a different foster home, which was in Brooklyn, New York. And in this foster home, our foster mom, she was much older, so we called her grandma. She had other grandchildren, so we called her grandma. She treated us wonderful, wonderful. She grew our hair back. Uh, we were in school. She fed us, you know, no problems. But being so young and not understanding why I was taken away from my family, I became very violent. I began to fight at such a young age, at six years old. I was already seeing a psychiatrist. I don't remember everything, but I was told that I would, during school, I would take a chair and hit other children in the head. And so I was, told that I had to see a psychiatrist, that I had a lot of uh, issues. But I can remember just being angry. I became very angry. I was violent. I wanted to go home, wanted to be with my family. I'm just a child. I don't understand why I was taken away. And I started to see this psychiatrist. And I did not know my father. Um, I don't have memories of my mother being around at such a young age. Um, and this psychiatrist would asked me questions about my father. I did not know my father. And the psychiatrist would ask me if my father would hit me with chains and ask me things that just wasn't true and say that I've said these things. And I can remember as young as I was that these things were false. It wasn't true, but they were writing these things down and claiming that I said that, you know, my father has done these things to me. So we're in a foster, foster home in Brooklyn for a few years, loved the family. Um, like I said, I was very violent. I was bad. Um, not sure if uh, she was supposed to whoop me, but I got a lot of whoopings. Um, my sister, I remember being in a foster home and my sister, she just seemed like there was no problem. She's older than I, I am. And she seemed like she didn't have a problem with being there. And I remember one time just seeing her, she seemed happy. And I threw dirt in her eyes because I couldn't understand why she seemed so happy with a family that, you know, does not belong to us. We don't belong to them. And I just wasn't doing well in school. 
you know, I was always getting in trouble, fighting, having problems. A few years passed, you know, being in the foster system, uh, it was every once in a while we get to meet up with our other siblings who were also in foster care. Most of the time, my grandmother was at the visits. My aunt came sometime, but I can only remember my mother one time, maybe once or twice coming. And I will always wonder, you know, where's my mom? Where's my mom? But my grandmother always came. A few years passed, my mother was able to get custody of us uh, because my grandmother was present in a home. And we go home, my mother's, she's not there to take care of us. It was my grandmother who always raised us and took care of us. So at this time, I'm growing up 10 years old, 11 years old. I finally find out the reason why I was taken away why I was taken away, why my siblings, my sisters, my brothers were taken away. And it was due to my mom's drug addiction. And when I found out that my mom was on drugs, I didn't understand too much, but I realized, you know, she's my mom. She chose a different life over her children, you know, drugs. And we went home to be with our mom who was barely there. My grandmother continued to raise us, had us in school. We lost the apartment and we were forced to go stay with my aunt in the South Bronx. Um, this was an overcrowded apartment. You know, it was a three bedroom. My aunt has her children, her six children, and it's nine of us. My mother has nine kids, you know, and she's never raised any of us. And so we're here in um, this overcrowded apartment, sharing a bed, you know. In my family, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of people who were working. Mom was on public assistance, you know, on, on public assistance. My grandmother was a teacher in a school. She tried her best to take care of us, but you know, she's up in age. You know, here she is raising, trying to raise nine kids with the help of my aunt. And it's during this time that I began to turn to the streets. I began to, because I'm looking for love. I don't have that love at home. In my family, even though my grandmother was raising us, I've never experienced love. I've never heard, I love you. I've never heard anything positive. I, I was pretty bad, you know, growing up. So I always heard negative things. And so I turned to the streets, and sometimes that happens when you're looking for love. You turn to all the wrong things. And so I turned to the streets. I'm living in a you know, poor neighborhood, in a neighborhood where everybody else, their parents are either on drugs, an alcoholic, and the children have the same issues that I have. Either they were in foster care or they're just running the streets themselves because their parents, um, they have no guidance. Like I did not have any guidance. And so I turned to the streets and I'm doing my own thing. I was coming in and out the house when I wanted to at a young age. I started smoking weed at 12 years old. Going to school, cutting school. Um, I was fighting everybody. I was always getting into fights. But I also did well in school. I played a lot of sports. I was active in school on a cheerleading team, a volleyball team. I was on a basketball team and no support. You know, I always realized I had two friends growing up and I noticed that their mom and their stepfather, they both had stepfathers, was active in their life and supported them. And when I did do, do well in school, there was no one there. 
There was no one there to support me. There was no one to say, great job, Shayna. There was no one there to say, I love you. You know, no one there to come to my games, no one there to cheer me on when I had competitions. I did not get a chance to experience that growing up. And so it continued to make me angry and make me um, resent my mother. So whenever my mother came around, even though I loved her, I loved her, I would stay, stay up sometimes hours to the next day hoping that my mother would come. Sometimes we didn't see her for days, sometimes we didn't see her for weeks. Sometimes we didn't hear from her until we, she called from jail. She was always in and out of jail, she was gone. And in my neighborhood, there's a lot of drug dealers and there were a lot of um, drug addicts, people who were addicted to drugs who were friends of my mom. And sometimes when I didn't see her, she was gone for maybe a week, few days, I would go to these people, I would ask drug dealers, have you seen my mom? I would ask her friends who also does drugs with her, have you seen my mom? Just always looking for her. And it built, I, I, I became so angry because now I'm growing up and I'm understanding more of, you know, what a mother should be and I don't have that mother. I, I'm seeing my friends, you know, have a, a family life, have love, and I want it. I was jealous of them, you know, so, it caused me to turn to the streets even more. I, like I said, I started smoking weed at 12. I started to hate myself. I would look in the mirror and I would hate myself because I was always told that I'm gonna either be like my mother, I was gonna either die early or be in jail or be on drugs. So every time I heard those negative things concerning my mother and, and you know, um, people making a connection with me concerning that, it made me hurt myself, hate myself. And so whenever I looked in the mirror, I would just think of those things, think of my mom. And so I began to pierce my face, get piercings, trying to change my appearance. I started to get tattoos at 14 years old. I was just trying to find a way to fit in, trying to find a way to feel loved. And so I turned to gangs, turned to gangs where I had to do things that, you know, I didn't want to do in the sense of fighting. I had to hurt a lot of people. I had to do a lot of things. Um, at 14 years old, well, at 13 years old, I tried to commit suicide. The thought that came into my mind where I wanted to commit suicide because I hated my life. I had just gotten into an argument with my aunt. My mother wasn't there. Um, she was missing for a few days. And I just said, I don't, I don't wanna live anymore. And so I took a knife and I put it to my neck and just poking my neck was so painful. And I said, okay, I can't do it this way. And so I put it to my stomach to the side and it was still painful. And I said, okay, I can't die this way. Then I found a rope that we use um, to jump double dutch. And I tied it around my neck and tied it to the bunk beds. We had a big wooden bunk bed in a room and I tied it to the bunk beds and I kneeled down so that I can hang myself, but it, it was so uncomfortable and I could feel myself suffocating. So I said, I, I don't want to die this way either. Too painful, didn't like the feeling. And I saw these pills and I knew if I take these pills, I'll die in my sleep, it would be pain-free. And so there was a relative there, an aunt that I had just met. She's a few years older than I was from my grandfather's side. Um, I didn't know her, I recently met her. She was there and I told her, I said, I'm gonna kill myself. And she said, I dare you. 
And because she said, I dare you, made me want to do it even more. And here she is, one of my younger sisters were there at the time, and she was telling me, no, no. You know, she said, Shana, don't kill yourself. And my aunt, um, she was encouraging me. She was encouraging me. She was I dare you, I dare you, do it. You won't do it, you won't do it. And I took all five of those bottles, all five. I took it. I took those pills, and I knew that in my sleep I was going to die. But by the grace of God, I woke up and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I didn't understand it all, but I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I got baptized and I began to serve the Lord. I began to put my faith in the Lord and trust in God. And my mother's still not around, she's still in jail. And I don't think my family understood what just happened to me. And so just a few days later, the funeral, and at the funeral, I find out that my son's father was married. I meet his wife at the funeral. You know, I'm 16 years old. All of this just happened. Got pregnant. You know, I'm in love. I, I'm living with him. We're living together. I have a baby. He's taken away from me. And I meet his wife. He's married. And so things just began to fall apart fall apart. And now I'm trying to serve God with my baby. And I began to go to service, go to church twice a week. I began to go to service to finish school. I was encouraged to finish school, um, to go back. I was in high school, go back, finish school. I was encouraged to, you know, um, go ahead and get a job and take care of my baby. I didn't want my child to go into foster care. I didn't want my child to have the same struggles that I, that I had to face, that I had to deal with. I wanted to be able to provide and take care of my child. And I knew that I, I'm the only one that can do this. But now that I've given my life to Jesus, now that I'm baptized, I'm born again, and I'm trying to serve God, the devil crept in where he used my family to come against me. What God did for me, because I was able to bring my family to Jesus Christ. I was able to bring, you know, them to the church for them to give their life. And some of them got baptized. So God used me when I thought that my past defined me. God showed me that it advanced me. And I was able to use my testimony, like what I'm doing now share my testimony to those, to my relatives, to my sisters, to my brothers, to those who are in the shoes that I once filled, to bring them to Christ, bring them to Jesus Christ. And my life was turned around. And when my mother came home out of jail, I was able to bring her to church for her to give her life to Jesus Christ. And that is what God has done in my life. He has changed me. I was able to have a great home. God has did a 360 turn for me. He changed my life around because I went from being homeless. I went from being homeless to owning my own home. That's what God can do for you. At just, just 20, I went to owning my own home. I was homeless at one time, but I owned my own home. I had nothing. And today, trusting in God, I'm the author of two books. Not only have I preached um, around in um, America, but I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and share my testimony around the world. Physically, God has used me.
to touch people in different countries with my testimony, with the gospel, with my books. And that is what I'm doing with my testimony today. Please close your eyes. It's time for prayer. My Lord and my Father, I have no doubt that you are listening to my prayer because I pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And whatever we bind here on earth will be bound in heaven. It will be done in heaven. And here on earth, wherever this person may be, we agree that from now on, she will believe. He will believe in spite of the circumstances, in spite of what he sees, he feels, or the circumstances around him. Oh Lord, my God, my Father, my Savior, I know that you can hear us. You are not deaf. You are not sleeping. You are not tired. You are available right now. Yes, help is at hand. The same hands that were nailed on the cross are available to touch. So touch this person that is sick in the hospital. This person that is now feeling pain, horrible pain, and was there flipping from channel to channel and stopped here in this prayer. Oh, Holy Spirit, help this person to leave this situation, to leave this hospital, to be free, to be healed. You are the healer. Oh, Lord, what about this person in jail, in prison, perhaps waiting for the past year, two years, for the trial, for the, for the court date? Nothing happens, my Lord. She's just seated on the cell, waiting and waiting, and nothing happened. Oh, Lord, bring justice. Bring justice, especially upon those that were arrested and sentenced for something he has not done. Bring justice to this person. Oh, Lord, bring back the husband that left, the son that is missing, the daughter that is on drugs. Set this person free. My Lord, wherever this prayer is being heard right now, let solution be there. Consecrate this glass of water, and when we drink, we want to drink drops of power. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Soul Food Podcast. Make sure to keep your notifications on to tune in to the next episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave a comment below or send us a message through text at 1-888-312-4141. Don't forget to share with your family so they can feed their soul too. God is with you. And you may not think that I care for you when you know down inside I really do. And it's me you to show how deep is your love, is your love. No, yeah. I really mean I to really learn, mean to learn.